everyone. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Sun Also Rises podcast. After the episode we did last season about hobbies, I received all kinds of emails from you listeners about the wide range of different kinds of hobbies that you're engaged in, and about other kinds of creative work that you're interested in, and it was great to read through those. And following on that, I thought that today we could talk a little about the value that can come from embracing feedback and criticism. For most anyone involved in producing creative work, this is a really valuable thing to understand. Embracing feedback and criticism is really vital to improvement and to growth. To discuss this subject, I mostly just wanted to tell you a story. It's a story that begins back in the year 2000 with an author and choreographer named Twyla Tharp. Twyla was 59 years old at the time that this story begins, and she was viewed as one of the most influential, respected, and successful writers and choreographers in the world. She had decades of experience and success in her field, and she had a reputation that was pretty much unimpeachable. She'd worked with many of the biggest names in the business, people like Philip Glass and David Byrne, and in the year 2000, Twyla Tharp set out to create a brand new and very ambitious Broadway musical. She wanted this musical to really be as much of a ballet and an opera as it was a musical. And its purpose was to tell the story of a generation of young Americans who grew up in New York in the 1960s. And she wanted to chart their lives from the 60s into the 70s with the Vietnam War there and then into the 80s. And she wanted to tell that story by using characters and lyrics from the songs of Billy Joel, the American singer-songwriter. Well, once she had the idea formulated, Twyla worked tirelessly on this project, writing the storyline, striving to capture the, the turbulence of that Vietnam War and working to demonstrate all those social changes that were sweeping through America during these decades. And she decided to push the plot forward using only the lyrics that had been written by Billy Joel decades earlier. So that's quite a constraint. Twyla named the musical Movin' Out after the Billy Joel song by that name. And she poured herself into its creation for months and months. She got Billy Joel to sign off on the whole thing, and she was also able to get about $8 million in investor money to mount the show. So it was no small project. It was a, a huge undertaking. After about two years of arduous work and two long years of pouring herself and, and pouring all of, all of those decades of experience and expertise, into this project, the show finally had its big debut. The debut is at the Schubert Theater in Chicago. And it was a flop. The audience was confused about the plot. The investors were worried about their money. The morale of the cast had vanished because they were all afraid that their involvement would set back their careers. And the critics the critics were brutal 
in their reviews of the show. I was able to go back and find a few of the old reviews. One reviewer at the Chicago Sun-Times called Moving Out stupefyingly cliched and embarrassingly naive. Another critic said Moving Out was fuzzy and confusing. The Chicago Tribune said, when Moving Out takes three of its central characters to war, the resulting combat leaves half the audience asking the other half, so what just happened? Who died, huh? Even Billy Joel, who has no expertise with musicals or Broadway, told Twyla that there were some problems with the show. The critical response was universal, and those tough reviews, they hit hard. So there was Twyla, just like the soldiers in her musical under heavy fire in Vietnam. She was under the heavy fire of criticism, bombarded by it from all directions. The musical was supposed to open on Broadway in New York three months later, but it was a massive failure, and it was a public failure. It was a failure that had dragged in scores of other people. So Twyla had to decide what to do. She could have become defensive and rejected that criticism. She could have said, you know, these, these Chicago Philistines, they don't know that I'm the expert on this kind of thing. They don't know what good art is. Wait until I bring this thing to New York. There they have more sophisticated and refined and discerning artistic sensibilities. She could have become discouraged by the criticism and maybe just tried to scrap the whole project. Either way, she could have gotten offended by that criticism and maybe just gone to her grave convinced that the cruel world had treated her shining masterpiece unfairly. Those are, those are all pretty normal reactions to critical feedback that I'm sure many of us engaged in uh, creative work can relate to. But Twyla didn't react in any of those ways. Instead, she embraced the critical feedback. She valued each bad review very highly. She would actually spend hours scouring the newspapers to read every shred of criticism of her work. Each insult was like a gold nugget to her. Each denunciation of her musical was a prize to be discovered and cherished. Many of the bad reviews were quite detailed, going through scene by scene and act by act to, you know, tear the whole thing apart. And Twyla studied these details carefully. And she ended up creating a series of spreadsheets about them. She meticulously entered all of that negative feedback into the spreadsheets, one data point at a time. And after she'd read and cataloged all of that criticism, she set to work changing the musical, improving it, overhauling it, fixing everything that the critics said was wrong with it. If several reviewers said that the play was to this, then she would work really hard to make it less of that. If, if several of them had said that it was insufficiently X and excessively Y, then 
she rewrote that aspect of it to boost the X and to reduce the, the Y variable. She cut out several characters, sometimes combining two or more characters into one person. This went a long way toward simplifying the musical. And she also cut out um, some lines and then repeated other lines, made sure that they were repeated enough so that they could be comprehensible. And she simplified just about every scene. Whatever the experts said was problematic, she spent many hours rectifying. She rewrote the play, overhauled it thoroughly. And then she retaught it to all of the actors and dancers and musicians that were involved in it. And then after about three months, right on schedule, she re-released it in New York on Broadway. And after all those changes, Moving Out was a smash hit. It played on Broadway for about three years with more than 1,300 total performances. And then it went on to tour all around the world where hundreds and thousands of... Uh, of people flocked to see it. It ended up winning two Tonys and the Drama Desk Award and also the very prestigious Theater World Award. And this time around, the critics and the reviewers really had only positive things to say. Their vocabulary had totally changed. I've got one quote here from the New York Times. I called it, quote, a shimmering portrait of an American generation. And then another critic called it, quote, a true heart original setting a new standard for the rock musical. One other one that I found said the show was, quote, in a different league. So Moving Out became a remarkably successful production, largely because its creator embraced criticism and, and readily received it. Twyla Tharp understood the value of criticism, and instead of getting defensive about the problems with her original creation, she worked hard to learn from that failure, and she readily accepted the negative feedback, and she changed her work based on it, based on all of that feedback and criticism. And that's really not an easy thing for people to do. We don't naturally like to admit that we made mistakes or that we produced something of inferior quality. If we really view our work like art and strive to make it perfect, which I think we should do, then it means that we'll be pouring a lot of our sweat and effort and maybe tears into it. But the problem is the more of ourselves we invest and pour into a creation, the more that creation starts to feel like an extension of ourselves or a part of us. The world-renowned educator, Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, often wrote about the empirical self and how our view of ourself expands to include all of the people in our lives that we feel allied with. And I think that this empirical self can also sometimes include the work that we create. We can feel like something that we labored really hard on is a part of us or, or one of our children or something like that. And so it means that we can be pretty sensitive when it's criticized. If we've put our heart into it and then someone pokes holes in it, that hurts. But learning not to take that discomfort too seriously is an important thing for any person involved in creative work to do. 
I once heard of a, a wise man who told his young son that whenever he bumped his leg playing soccer or riding a bike or sustained any other kind of uh, injury like that, he was not allowed to yelp about it for 20 seconds. And nine times out of 10, by the time those 20 seconds were up, that initial hit that was first so offensive to the young boy's nerve endings, you know, the pain from it would have subsided and he would have realized that, wait a minute, that was not really that bad of a, a hit after all. So I, I think it was a great idea because that would spare the boy from embarrassing himself by yelping out over nothing. And it also would have spared other people the stress of fearing that the boy was actually hurt. So it taught it taught him self-control. And I think it's a great guideline. And it's a guideline that we can apply to emotional hits as well. If you receive some kind of jarring criticism about one of your creative works, give it 20 hours maybe. Or maybe a couple of days before you yelp about it and acknowledge the discomfort. And usually within a few days, that pain and the emotion-fueled reaction will subside. Your perspective will return, your uh, cooler thinking will prevail, and you'll be able to set to work integrating the feedback and the criticism that you received, and you'll be able to improve your creation with it. Many of the great minds over the years have understood that if you want to produce excellent work, and if you'd like to improve the quality of your work, it's essential to seek feedback and criticism. Winston Churchill said, criticism may not be agreeable, but it is necessary. It fulfills the same function as pain in the body. It calls attention to an unhealthy state of things. Bill Gates said, we all need people who will give us feedback. That's how we improve. Stanford University lecturer Ed Batista said, we can't just sit back and wait for feedback to be offered, particularly when we're in a leadership role. If we want feedback to take root in the culture, we need to explicitly ask for it. And there are also several powerful uh, biblical passages that can be applied to this subject. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. Then there's another proverb, Proverb 19.20, that says, Hear counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter end. And then Proverbs 11.14 is along the same lines. It says, In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And of course, there are many applications of those passages, but I think that they can be applied to the fact that each one of us can have gaping holes in our storehouses of knowledge. We can have lapses in logic or judgment. Each of us can have imbalances and biases that we often are not even really aware of. And there's also a tendency for people, especially younger people, I think, to sometimes believe that our work is better than it actually is. You can see this in some of the contestants on American Idol and The Voice and X Factor and shows like that. Some of those contestants really overestimate how talented they are, and then they actually get angry when the judges tell them that they, 
you know, have much more to learn. And of course, those are extreme cases, but it does illustrate, almost in caricature, some of the imbalances and blind spots that we can all sometimes have about our creative work. So these Bible passages say it's wise to have many counselors. You know, in the multitude of them, there's safety against these kinds of blind spots and biases. And it also requires humility to not just have counselors, but to also listen to them, even when they're not saying what we would like to hear. It's also important to know that critical feedback will not always be delivered in a perfect and encouraging way. The late U.S. Congressman Frank Clark said, Criticism, like rain, should be gentle enough to nourish a man's growth without destroying his roots. And that is true, but it doesn't always happen that way. Feedback and criticism are not always delivered to us with perfect balance and gentleness. If we seek feedback, which we really have to do in order to be improving, then we will sometimes be given criticism that's delivered to us in an imbalanced or even heavy-handed way. And it may not always be entirely fair. And sometimes it might even come from a source that we uh, don't really think that it should be coming from. But even still, even if the source is not the most respectable in our view, or if it's delivered in an imbalanced way, we still should not be quick to reject it. Think about Twyla Tharp and her musical. Much of that criticism that was levied at her was not offered in a spirit of giving and encouraging at all. A lot of those critics were much harsher than they needed to be because they were you know, operating selfishly. They didn't care about helping her. Many of them just wanted to be viewed as witty writers and have something kind of you know, snarky to say in a lot of cases. That's what sells newspapers and that's what establishes names for critics. But even still, even with those who were intentionally insulting, Twyla didn't dismiss the criticism. Even when the feedback was not delivered in a way that was gentle or diplomatic, she still received it and considered it and, and factored it into all of her revisions. There's an example from ancient history that touches on this, this topic also, and that is when Moses, the physical head of the nation of Israel, received some pretty blunt criticism from his father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro was a priest from Midian and not even part of the uh, centralized Israelite nation. It is likely that he was of Abrahamic ancestry, but either way, Jethro was an outsider to the Israelites and at nowhere near the level of authority that Moses had. But when Jethro saw that Moses was trying to speak directly with every individual person in ancient Israel to give them counsel and, and arbitration and whatnot, when Jethro saw that and when he saw how much it consumed of Moses' time and energy, then this outsider, Jethro, gave Moses some pretty critical feedback. Exodus 18, starting in verse 14, quotes Jethro as saying to Moses, What is this thing that you do to the people? Why do you sit you yourself alone 
and all the people stand by you from morning unto evening. This thing that you do is not good. You will surely wear away both you and this people that is with you, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to perform it yourself alone. And after that, if you read the account there in Exodus, you see that Jethro went on to explain how Moses could correct this problem. He said he should appoint trustworthy mid-level rulers, rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And Moses's response to this critical feedback really reveals his humility. He didn't brush Jethro off as an outsider who didn't understand. And he didn't try to protect his reputation by lying that he'd been thinking about doing that very thing himself. And he didn't say that he was the only one who could really give sound counsel. He didn't pull rank by reminding Jethro who between the two of them had had conversations with the Creator God. Instead, Moses recognized that God was speaking to him through this outsider. And Moses humbly received the feedback, even though it was from an outsider. And even though it was delivered in what sounds to me like a somewhat blunt uh, kind of a manner, Moses immediately implemented Jethro's counsel. He overhauled the entire system of counseling based on Jethro's criticism. And the account makes clear that it was a vast improvement that benefited not just Moses, but the entire nation of Israel. So the lesson is just that even when the criticism and feedback come from a source that you may not think is really qualified to be correcting you, and even if it isn't delivered in the most balanced and diplomatic way, it's still wise in many cases not to blithely dismiss it. And the last quick point is that Just as we should not summarily reject criticism, we also should not just automatically accept it. It is possible to go too far on the path of embracing and and eagerly receiving all criticism. Sometimes the criticism is actually wrong, and if we weigh it and examine it and maybe seek another opinion or two, sometimes you may well see that the person offering the criticism kind of misunderstood it in a way that no one else does. And in those cases, it wouldn't make sense to implement the changes that they're suggesting. Usually the original creator of the creative project will have had his head in it much longer than the person offering the feedback. And so there are certainly times when the critic is is wrong. So we just have to keep that in mind and have the discernment to know when the criticism is valuable and when it when it may not be. And I think those times will be rare for most of us. Usually if someone misunderstood or disagreed with an aspect of our creative work, then that means others will too, to at least some degree. And that means that there might be something, even if it's something very minor, that we could change in order to improve the work. So just to wrap it up here, If we learn how to embrace critical feedback about our work, and if we work hard to study that feedback and to grow from it, then we can not only improve that one project, but we can improve all of our work going forward. 
If we really value and embrace criticism, then we can improve our work and even our overall character from it. We can turn weaknesses to strengths, failure into success, and like Twyla Tharp, we can turn a flop into a hit. Well, that's our show for today, everybody. We really appreciate your tuning in. Our email address is tsar at kpcg.fm. Send us an email. Send us some feedback. Maybe send in some criticism if you're so inclined. And I'll do my best to embrace it and to improve the show with it. And I'll leave you today with the words of the director, Andrew Stanton. He was one of the first employees of Pixar, and he was an instrumental part of that studio's rise to cinematic excellence. He said, Working at Pixar, you learn the really honest, hard way of making a great movie, which is to surround yourself with people who are much smarter than you, much more talented than you, and incite constructive criticism. You'll get a much better movie out of it. It's hard. You'll hear a lot of things you don't want to hear. And you'll fall down a lot. But I've only ever had greatness come out of that process. Mm -hmm.